following message was given by Rayshon Graves on Sunday, January 28th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. We've been in a series uh, called God's People and God's Word, and we've been looking at uh, how we as God's people approach uh, God and his word through our responses of, of adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Uh, and this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about our response of, of supplication. Uh, now, before we jump into this, uh, we're just going to spend a little time talking about the word supplication because it's definitely not a word uh, that we hear very often day, today unless you've got a King James Bible or you watch spelling bee competitions. Uh, <laughs> and it's a word that I don't use and will probably never use outside of this sermon. Uh, if you're one of those people who you, you, you kind of open up your CBR journals and you see those four boxes and you're not really sure what that supplication box is asking you, um, don't worry, I'm gonna try to help you out today. So, <laughs> so what does supplication mean and, and what does it communicate about our uh, response to God and his word? Well, supplication, it, it basically means to ask, to request. Uh, but if that were all that this word meant, then we could just cross out that antiquated word in, in our journals and just replace it with the word ask. Uh, but there's actually more to the definition of this word supplication. It means exactly what those lyrical theologians uh, called the temptations. It's exactly what they described in their song uh, called Ain't Too Proud to Beg. And I'm not gonna sing it, uh, but pretty much the lyrics of the song are this man's plea to a woman who's about to leave him and he's willing to do whatever is necessary in order to keep her from moving on. He'll beg if he has to. He'll cry, he'll even sleep at her doorstep all night and all day just to keep her from walking away. He ain't too proud to beg and that's what's captured in this word supplication. It's begging, it's earnestly and fervently in light of the weightiness of a certain reality or need and in light of recognizing our own inability, it's communicating desperation to someone or something that can provide what is being requested. And so, uh, although because of the gospel, we aren't necessarily begging God for acceptance like the man in this song is, is begging for a second chance, uh, this kind of earnest and unashamed asking and begging, it, it captures some of what supplication means and what we can learn about how we approach God and his word. So another word that I'll use today, uh, kind of interchangeably with supplication is the word petition. Uh, and petition, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, this asking and requesting that we're doing in supplication is something formulaic or ritualistic. Uh, rather, supplication and petitioning, it's personal. It involves our entire lives, our, our deepest thoughts, our, our most honest words, and even our raw emotions. And so today we're gonna to spend some time in Luke chapter 18, verses one through 14, a passage that if you're following along in CBR, uh, you came across this week. And we're gonna see something of what supplication looks like from these two parables that Jesus tells to his disciples and his followers. Uh, we'll see two things, supplication's persistence and then supplication's posture. And so in verses one through eight, we see supplication's persistence. In Luke chapter 18, verse one, Jesus begins to tell his disciples a parable or a figurative story in order to communicate to them the importance of praying consistently. In this parable about the interaction, this parable, it's about the interaction between two people, this widow and this judge, but it's also used to express something about the interaction between God and people, which happens primarily through prayer. And this leads us to the first point about supplication in that it's a kind of prayer. 
Jesus, he's using this story to argue from the lesser to the greater, to give his followers, to give people like you and I confidence and assurance in approaching God through petition in prayer. What Jesus is ultimately saying is is that if this is what supplication looks like when it comes to an unjust, inconsistent, and sinful human, then imagine what it looks like when it comes to a just and holy God who is good. Imagine what supplication looks like when this God is involved. And so prayer, it isn't isn't something that's meant for God as if it's some type of exercise uh, that gets him to like us more the more frequently that we do it. See, God doesn't need prayer in that sense. Rather, prayer is meant for our benefit. It's meant for our communication with this loving and and gracious Father. It's meant for our connecting with the sovereign, all-wise and all-knowing creator and redeemer in an aim to be provided for, to know his perspective for our lives and then to align ourselves with his perfect purposes. And so Jesus, he wants his disciples to know that they ought always to pray what he says in verse one, and I know that word ought, it can be uh, sort of difficult to to digest. It can be a scary word that communicates and carries with it some sense of burdensome obligation. But when Jesus uses the word ought here in this passage, it's not out of a sense of obligation or or duty, It's, it's for our benefit. It's for our joy, our freedom and direction. We ought to be praying because this God is good. So let's hear Jesus when he instructs us to always be praying. Luke continues uh, by adding four more words to this sentence in verse one that lead to the point of this parable. He says, and not lose heart. Now some of your other versions may say, and never quit or, uh, and not not give up. But these words, they're important because they, they have everything to do with the responses that we receive in our petitioning, both to people as we see in this parable and God. Well, how so? We'll let this parable explain. Look at verses two through five. Jesus says that in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'm gonna give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Uh, When everybody saw our one-and-a-half-year-old son last year, uh, we always heard this same sort of thing. Wait till he starts talking. Uh, You know, Zeke's two-and-a-half now, and, you know, back then he smiled, he giggled, he made some cute noises and stuff, he cooed and all that. But ever since he's learned how to string together a subject and a verb, he's been a non-stop talker. And I kid you not, every other sentence seems like it's a command. Your kids are probably the same way. But now you combine that with a dislike for sleep and a highly discriminatory diet, he's a picky eater, and you get what happens to me on Christmas Eve. I don't think he slept that, that much the night before, but at 5.30 a.m. sharp, I get the regular thumb in my eyeball, prying my eyelid open, following by the whispering, dada, dada, get up, go to store, go get apple cookie, red yogurt, napkin, and iPad. Every morning consistently, regularly. And so he repeated this like 50 times before I put my feet on the floor and then 20 more times after that until I left. So then I came to church that morning and I don't normally get phone calls from my wife on Sundays, but uh, that Sunday I saw that I missed like three calls from her. So uh, I called back, no answer. Then another incoming call uh, comes in from her shortly after that. So I pick up I'm ready, kind of nervous, because I think it's probably going to be some emergency news or something, and instead I hear, hi, Dada. (laughs) 
that at? Go to the store. I need, and he dragged the E's, I need red yogurt, apple cookies. Call ended. <laughs> Half an hour later, another incoming call from Tiffany Graves. I pick up. Hi, Dada. Dada, go to the store, go get red yogurt, go get apple cookies. So this time I'm like, okay, you know, I'm around people, I'm at, at church. Zeke, stop playing. Where's mommy? Go put her on the phone, make sure everything's all right. Call ended. So it happened to me one more time after, shortly after that. And this time I think I was like driving home from church and people weren't around and, you know, had it on speaker and, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those times where, you know, you take it off speaker and put it to your ear and you, you'd be ready to talk to him like he's grown. But I was ready for it. So incoming call, Tiffany Graves. I'm like, I, I know what it is now. Look, man, look. Hey, Dada. Dada, go to the store, go get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, twelve red yogurt. And Dada, go get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, twelve apple cookies. Call ended. I'm still fairly new at this parenting thing, so I, I feel a little bad for saying it, but that little, that little dude really got on my nerves that day. I was done. And from what some of you all tell me, this continues on. That's all good, but uh, his persistence for yogurt and apple cookies, Nutri-Grain bars, it had me ready to give him some broccoli. But nevertheless, I, I persisted, and, or he persisted, and I stopped at Target on the way home. Got him his yogurt and apple cookies. And my point in sharing this is because we've all been on one or both sides of the story in this parable. Sometimes you're like this widow who finds herself in great need, who persists in going to this judge to get justice. Or maybe you've been like this judge, the one who's been constantly asked for something that you honestly just don't feel like giving. Maybe you're the student who persists after every class in asking the professor for a better grade, or you're the employee who persists in asking for a raise from your employer. Maybe you're the brother or sister who vows to never give anything to your siblings, no matter how persistently they come to you, whether it's clothes or money. On a more serious note, maybe the person who's withholding trust or transparency from people who deserve it, people who ask for it, all because you've been hurt in the past. Maybe you're the one who's withholding forgiveness from someone who continues to ask persistently for it, even though they don't deserve it. Listen, you don't have to be an ignored or oppressed widow to understand what it means to need. And you and I, we don't have to be a callous and withholding judge to understand what it's like to be asked for something persistently and then extremely nagged by the request. In this parable, Jesus points us to this widow because her persistence is powerful. See, she can't produce what she needs on her own and therefore she's gotta pursue something that only someone else can give her, justice. And so she goes after it every day at every opportunity. For her to be complacent with her, the injustice that she re she's received or to attempt to assault, to solve it on her own, it's only going to produce anxiety and frustration within her. And the same goes for you and I. If we hold on to our needs, if we hold on to our requests, and then make efforts to solve them in our own power, it's only going to produce that same anxiety and despair. It's going to rob us of peace and of joy, which is why the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, he tells them, listen, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. You've got requests, you've got needs. And if we're honest, it's really, anxious to get, it's really easy to get anxious or frustrated about those needs. But he continues, he says, in everything, in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. See, our, our persistent petitioning to God, it, it leads to peace. And so today, brothers and sisters, let's let go of the kind of thinking that says that our, the ultimate solution to our needs, it rests solely within our own ability and efforts to solve them. Whether it's transformation in our souls or whether it's something in our lives, let's be a people that bring our request to God. That in supplication, we make our requests known to him. We make our needs known to him in confidence and in persistence. So in addition to this woman, we're also particularly pointed to this judge in verse six. Because even in his callousness, even in his disregard for everyone but himself, he hears this widow's request and he responds. See, you and I, we are again, we're like this judge, but we also love to hate people who are like this judge. I wish I could unpack a little bit more what it meant for him to be a person who neither feared God or people, but the point is this, that even when it comes to being asked and asked, begged and petitioned persistently and continuously, this judge, even in his semi-righteous response, in his selfish response, it's a dim and dull reflection of God's greater and more perfect response. Which is why Jesus says here, hear this judge. Look, the whole point of this parable is not that, that you and I have to whine or nag or pile up words and requests in our prayers in order to provoke the response that we want from God. No, the point of this parable is to contrast this evil judge with this good God. To see the lesser, the judge, the ways that you and I withhold what's asked from us. And yet we're still eventually moved to give. And then pan over and see this great God. And see that if wicked and unjust sinful people can be moved to respond by the persistence of petitioning, then how much more? How much more will a perfectly good, loving, and merciful God respond to the cries of his people? See, the point of this parable is to persist in prayer. It's to make your request known, not on the basis of using your own efforts in persistence to gain a desired outcome, but on the basis of who it is that you're petitioning. We go to God. We go to God, not an unjust judge, not a half-hearted person with selfish intentions. We go to God in supplication persistently because he is perfectly good. And that's what the rest of the parable tells us, that this heavenly father, this good God will respond to those who cry to him day and night. He's not gonna deliberate or delay out of some evil or sinful wrestling within himself. You know, Jesus says he will respond. question for us is, will we recognize his response? See, just like I mentioned previously, the words pray and not lose heart or never give up, they're there because sometimes the response that we receive in our supplication isn't necessarily what we've asked for. And so often we take the inconsistent responses that we receive from one another. For example, the withholding this widow received from this judge, and then we believe that God gives us the same kind of responses concerning our requests. We go to him and we have this expected outcome or desire and petitioning and, and when people don't give that to us in a particular time frame or in a, a particular fashion or even at all, then we conclude that we haven't been heard. 
or that we've been rejected or ignored or overlooked. So when we approach God in the same way in supplication and experience the same result of not receiving exactly what it is that we've asked for, it becomes easy for us to conclude that God doesn't hear us or that he's rejected us or overlooked us. But what Jesus wants to communicate to us is that this isn't the case for God's people. This isn't the case for those who have placed their faith in the person of who this God has revealed himself to be in his word. And then out of that faith, out of that trust, pray to him, go to him as a child goes to their parent. Jesus tells us that God always hears his people. He always hears the cries of his children. He isn't like this judge who recognizes that he's withholding something good and right and then refuses to give it out of selfish and wicked motives. No, it's like 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that his promises towards us in Jesus are always yes and amen. Or Psalms 84.11 says that he withholds nothing good from those who walk uprightly or blamelessly. So look, maybe you're here today and you've been asking. You've been begging, you've been requesting God for some very specific things that you don't think that he's heard you on or that you think he's just flat out rejected you about. Maybe you've been asking for some really weighty things for yourselves or even for others that you know. Whether it's health or healing for in your own body or for someone that's close to you, somebody that you know. Maybe it's stability in some area of your life. Salvation for someone that you know who wants nothing to do with Jesus, a wayward child. Maybe you've been petitioning, trying to conquer some sin that never seems to lose in its battles against you. Maybe you've been petitioning for forgiveness from a broken relationship or justice and restoration in your life uh, for someone who's hurt or abused you. Maybe you've been petitioning earnestly because you look in the world around you and you, you long to see justice. You long to see righteousness. Maybe you've been petitioning for change from a, a vexing job. Maybe petitioning for a child of your own, a spouse or a spouse that acts right. Or even more than this, maybe you've been petitioning for just personal transformation. You open your CBR journal every day you fill out those boxes, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and yet you just aren't seeing the results of the Christian life. You aren't seeing the fruit that you see in all the people around you. You're not seeing the joy, the peace. You're not seeing the results that, that Jesus promises you in here. And so you've been petitioning and crying out for personal transformation. You're still wallowing in sin, dealing with frustration, giving in to temptation. Listen, you've asked for these things, good things. And for some of you, there have been these long seasons of silence or what appears to be this cold no that really hurts your soul because it leads you to believe that God doesn't hear you or even worse, that he doesn't love you. Listen, I don't know why things are the way they are concerning your visible and external needs, but Jesus, he assures us he assures us that God hears the cries of his people. He knows exactly what you need even before you ask. But even more than that, he, he knows. He shares in this pain and frustration of the silence with you. 
Listen, if anybody knows what that's like, it's Jesus. But he also knows that God always responds, to add another word, speedily to his children, as verse 8 says. Listen, could I propose to you that although, although you might not feel that God is at work around you concerning your visible and external needs, God is always at work in you. And although his definition of speedily may differ from ours concerning what's happening around us, because God's spirit lives within us, he is always working according to his purposes within you. Even in the midst of your weakness, even when you lose heart in persisting in prayer. And because this God is powerfully in control over our circumstances, over our lives, and because he is good, even when you and I may not receive a response or see a response to our petitions taking place around us, God is always proactively and powerfully at work in responding within us. See, in these long seasons of silence, God is at work. He's exposing our idols, our fears, our doubts, our anxieties, our sin. If we're honest, those are the things that so often lie beneath the external invisible needs. But like Psalms 23 says that in that work, he's restoring our souls with his joy, with his peace, his wisdom and his righteousness. He is supplying our need, even though it may not be what we think we need. So listen, if you find yourself experiencing those long seasons of silence, you feel alone in that. Know that you are not alone. This response, this, this godly response to our supplication, this has been the pattern through which God has always worked through his people. Old Testament, New Testament, even though we can't always see it, even though the response or the outcome isn't always exactly what we desire or how we desire it, our just and gracious God, he always hears us and he always responds to our cries of supplication. Working around us, but even more so working within us. And so in light of this, in light of who it is that we are petitioning in our praying, in light of this good and perfect and loving God who always gives justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night, Listen, be encouraged by the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, where he essentially says, persist, keep persisting in praying, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock, take the figurative fist of supplication that wears out the doors of unjust judges, but will never wear out God and keep knocking. Because in asking, it will be given to you, in seeking, you will find, and in knocking, the door will be open to you. And Jesus, he continues on in Matthew 7, grounding this previous statement in the fatherhood, the relational aspect that we have with God, saying, or oh, which one of you, which one of you, if his son calls him and asks him for yogurt cookie and yogurt and apple cookies, will give him broccoli? <laughs> which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will give him a serpent? Listen, if you then who are evil, lesser to greater, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? 
how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He gives good things. He withholds no good thing from his children. Jesus wants us to see God's goodness. He wants us to see God's perfection in his goodness, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, and persist in praying. Make your requests known to God. Ask for change around you and transformation within you. Bring the full weight of your emotions, your sin, your sufferings, your frustrations, your complaints. Bring these things confidently to the throne of grace, persistently to the throne of grace before this just God, and he will respond swiftly. Make your requests known to him. So moving on, we've seen supplications, persistence, but in verses 9 through 14, we'll see supplications, posture. Uh, Luke moves on from this parable on the persistence of prayer to uh, another parable where Jesus now discusses the posture of prayer. Uh, but this time, the story's a little bit more complex. Uh, the characters are not as easy to identify with, easy to love and hate as a, an oppressed widow who wants justice and, and, and uh, an unjust judge who's, who's withholding it from her. This character development in this parable is a little bit more complex. It's harder to figure out. Jesus, he throws his audience a curveball here, a, a no-look pass, if you will. Luke says that Jesus tells this prayer to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So listen, I'm gonna sound like a total nerd here, but I enjoy the occasional sci-fi film. Uh, one of my favorites is Men in Black, the first one and the first one only. <laughs> it's got Will Smith in it, and there's a scene where uh, there's a room full of military soldiers. Uh, they're, they're training to fight aliens. Follow, follow me, please. <laughs> so there's this simulation in front of them where these, these aliens are invading the streets. There, there's these cardboard cutouts of aliens coming at them, and uh, there's one on a street light. There's another one in the middle of the street walking, and there's another one in the sewer. Uh, these cardboard cutouts, and there's, these lights are flashing, and these, these noises of, of monsters and aliens are, are around them in this simulation. Uh, but also in the middle of this simulation, there's this cardboard cutout of this, uh, of this 10-year-old girl. She's got pigtails. Uh, she's about nine or 10, she's got a dress on, and then uh, she's got four quantum physics books in her hand. And so the simulation happens, the, the, the officers and uh, the, the soldiers, they start firing their weapons uh, towards, towards all the aliens that are around, the lights are flickering, and Will Smith's character sort of waits to the end and hesitates, and then he fires a shot at this cardboard cutout of this little girl. So the whole scene stops and the, the instructor comes in and goes, what are you doing? Why did you just fire at this little girl? So, so Will Smith, he starts reasoning that the aliens, they're not actually the ones who are dangerous. You know, the one on the street light, he's working out. The one in the middle of the street, he's sneezing. He's just, you know, trying to get out the way. And the other one is he's just trying to be inconspicuous as possible. Uh, and it's actually the little girl. It's this little nine-year-old girl who's, who's somehow in the middle of this dark inner city with these lights flashing and in the middle of the night with pigtails and a dress and four quantum physics books in her hands. She's the one who's dangerous. She's the one who you should be worried about. Will Smith says at the end that those books are way too advanced for her. And so if you followed me through that, that's the effect of this parable on Jesus' listeners here. You walk into this simulation of the temple. 
You see a a Pharisee praying and you see a a tax collector, someone who would be just as despised as this judge was in the previous parable. You see them praying, you see them in two different places, you hear two different prayers, see two different postures. They're following along and you think Jesus is getting ready to really go after this tax collector. This guy is detestable. Why is he even in the temple at all? This guy's a, uh, you know, he's a betrayer of his people. He's greedy, he takes money. Again, a detestable figure. And you see this Pharisee, he's moral. He's righteous, he appears to have it all together. He sounds like he's got it all together. Pays his tithes, he's faithful to his wife. He's moral, he keeps the laws. But Jesus throws a curveball. And instead of firing at the the tax collector who we all think deserves it, he goes after this self-righteous Pharisee. He goes after the moralist. So look, you've you've heard this Pharisee's prayer before. Sure, you read it in CBR this week, but you're probably familiar with it. But even outside of that, we're familiar with this prayer, right? See, it doesn't happen, maybe we don't say it out loud, but for many of us, it happens every time we open our Facebook apps, every time we open our Twitter feeds, every time we turn on the news. Look, it probably doesn't take place in a temple, but this prayer, it happens in our hearts while we're at our workplaces, in our schools, or on the playgrounds with our kids, or when, when other parents are around. God, I thank you that my sin isn't currently trending on Twitter. God, I thank you, I'm not the racist. I'm not the privileged, I'm not the oppressor, I'm not the abuser. I thank you, I'm not the, the conniving Democrat over there, I'm not that insensitive Republican. God, I thank you, I'm not like all those Christians. I thank you, I'm a good parent. I go out of my way for my child's edu- education sources. I go out of my way to, to make sure my child, children have the best and they don't make the wrong choices. God, I thank you, my food preferences are better. I got non-GMOs in my non-GMO organic, non-GMO diet. And other people are eating junk. They won't live as long as me. Look, you fill in the blanks. The point is that this Pharisee's prayer, this Pharisee's prayer is an example of, of what, what it's look like, what it looks like to live the Christian life without supplication. He essentially says, God, I've got this. I'm good, God, I've got this. And because I've got this, we're good. I don't need anything. Listen, I open the CBR journal, I I read scripture. Man, I've got like 10 people to text who I know this is gonna be really good for their soul. But I, I, yeah, it's it's just washing over me today. I don't really need anything from this. I'm good. God, I thank you that you made me, but, but I made me. See, this is what our prayers look like without supplication. It's essentially saying, I'm not asking because I have it or I can get it. I'm not seeking because I found it already and I'm not knocking because I'm already in the building. See, what the Pharisee displays here is a posture of pride, standing on our own ability and achievements rather than recognizing our need and recognizing our insufficiency. Listen, as God's people, we never get beyond supplication. And the minute that we do is when our our posture in prayer becomes one of pride. We never get beyond supplication because we never get beyond need. Every day of our lives, every moment of every day, we are a people who are in great need. We're in need of God's grace. 
We're in need of his transformation, his direction, his provision. And it's through God's word and it's through confession, seeing our inability, seeing and adoring the the perfection of who God is, seeing the ways we don't measure up and confessing our, our insufficiencies and failures. It's through God's word that light is exposed on our sins, our insufficiencies, our failures. And we are a people in constant need because in our own strength, we cannot keep God's requirements. In our own efforts, we can't create or sustain peace in our own hearts or in our lives. We can't untangle the complex webs of suffering that that are always threatening to steal our joy and our peace. We don't have it in and of ourselves to resist temptation or to conquer sin. So listen, if, if you're living the Christian life without supplication, if you're living the Christian life without supplication and, and a recognizing of your own need, your own inability, your own sinfulness, there's a strong chance that you might be living without God. That's what the Pharisee displays. And that believing the lie of our own sufficiency, it's dangerous. Because like this Pharisee, it causes us to think that that God approves of our self-righteousness, that God approves of our own self-sufficiency. When in reality, he walks into the temple, he looks at our prayers, hears our prayers, and then walks the other way. The danger of being a good Christian without God. So now Jesus, he moves on and he he points us to uh, the tax collector. And he points us to this tax collector to show us that in supplication, there's a posture that approaches God and it says that we can do nothing for ourselves. Rather, we recognize that something must be done for us. And it's out of this, it's out of this recognition that that petition comes. And so it's this kind of supplicating prayer that you see from the tax collector, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The same words that that David uses in Psalm 51 after he commits an atrocious sin. It's this kind of supplicating prayer that's grounded in the confession of our great need for God's mercy and forgiveness. It's seeing that we cannot obtain these things on our own. The tax collector, he walks into this temple. He walks in with his head down. He recognizes his own sinfulness and insufficiency and and out of this, out of this flows confession. God, I do not have it all together. I've missed it a hundred million times. From this confession comes supplication. I need, I need forgiveness. I need mercy. Be merciful. Be propitious to me. Forgive my sin. And in the same way, our supplication, it it comes from recognizing the goodness and the holiness of God. Seeing our frailties and our weaknesses, our sins and the the way we, we fail to measure up. And then flowing from our confession, Here comes this thanksgiving of what God does and accomplishes for us, but this supplication of, God, I need, I need transformation. I need help to deal with the the ways that I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you're gonna respond to the visible needs around me. It's this kind of prayer, this kind of prayer that displays the posture of supplication, which is the posture of humility. It says, I'm the one in great need and God is the one who must act or there's nothing or I'm nothing. There never will be anything concerning righteousness before God, acceptance with him. 
See, whereas the Pharisee's only concerned with his achievements and his morality, the tax collector, he's concerned with his soul. He stands a, a far way off, he bows down. He's not specifically concerned with his, his improving his moral status or his external behavior, but he's concerned with receiving grace and forgiveness for his soul. He's approaching God, he's approaching God with extended hands. Not like this Pharisee who's saying, God, I thank you, here's some things that maybe you can work with. No, he's going with outstretched hands saying, God, have mercy on me. I will receive whatever it is that you give me. That's the posture of supplication, one of humility. So yes, the encouragement for us today as God's people is to persist and, and continue to persist in prayer, asking continuously for whatever it is that you need for transformation, for health, for justice, for mercy, whatever it is that you need. But also to approach God in humility. Supplication is entrusting ourselves to our faithful creator and being willing to receive whatever our Lord gives us in response knowing that he has and is responding to our cries because of who he is and even because of what he's done previously. Because of that we can know that our supplications are heard and that God's gracious and glorious purposes are at work in us. Again, this pattern of supplication is persistence, it's humility, this is seen all throughout the lives of God's people. We open our Bibles and we read and hear the stories. We see the Psalms and the prophets, how they're filled with lament and petitioning in moments of great difficulty, spiritual despair, failure, fragility. There's a petitioning that flows out of this. We see Israel's kings and leaders cry out in moments of great need. And you go into the New Testament you come to books like Luke, and even when you see the Son of God, Jesus, when he finds himself in the most difficult place, you see the supplication is present. Jesus, when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his death, he's at his weakest and most vulnerable. And in this moment, he prays, and he prays persistently, fervently. See, just a few chapters over from Luke 18 and Luke chapter 22, we see that Jesus in agony and sorrow, he petitions his father in the garden saying, Father, if you are willing, let this cup, death, the cross, bearing the punishment for sin and your wrath and justice, let this cup pass from me. I, I don't know if I can bear it. Save me from death. If it's possible, let this cup pass. But we know the cup didn't pass in this moment. Sure, the, the father responds to Jesus in saving him from death, but it, but it wasn't by saving Jesus in the garden this night. But in this prayer, we also see Jesus' humility because, because although he's petitioning persistently, Lord, let this cup pass. In the silence of God's answer. Again, if you've, if you've been in this season of silence, man, Jesus, Jesus knows what this really feels like. In the silence of God's answer, Jesus humbly submits himself to God's purposes, saying, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
See, in supplication, in Jesus' supplication, we see his honesty and humility. And in his supplication, we see that the Father hears and responds speedily. Luke chapter 22 continues, it says that in the moments after Jesus prays, he's strengthened. God sends an angel from heaven to strengthen him in that moment. And then after that, even in the agony, Jesus continues to pray more earnestly, more fervently, more persistently that God's will would be accomplished. Hebrews 5, 7, it says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And that Jesus was heard because of his reverence. See, Jesus, he wasn't exempt from supplication. Although he was neither disobedient or sinful, he was human. And he faced the very real frailties and weaknesses that you and I face. He knows what it's like to go to God in moments of weakness and concern, and he also knows what it's like to to not receive the answer from him that you expect. But because God responded to the supplications of Jesus in this moment according to his will, you and I, and all who trust in the finished work of Jesus, we can have assurance that God hears our supplications. and that he will respond to our cries. That if he did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, will he not much more graciously give us all things? Will he not much more graciously hear our cries? So in this garden, in strengthening Jesus to endure the cross, to bear the punishment for our sin, to bear the punishment for our being like this wicked and unjust judge, and withholding from others, or being like this Pharisee in our pride and our self-righteousness, not going to God with our concerns and our needs because we think we can solve them, and bearing the punishment for our sin, being cut off from the very God who he was praying to and crying out to in this garden. We see that God the Father did save Jesus from death. How? He placed on him our death. And then he resurrected him three days later. And consequently, because the father heard the supplicating words and wounds of Jesus on that cross, it's just as the song we sing, five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Don't let that ransomed sinner die. Because of his supplicating wounds on the cross, which cried out for our forgiveness. God has saved from death all who trust in this perfect sacrifice of Jesus for sin. And he's also poured out his love on people like us who are unworthy of it. And now because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because God strengthened him in that garden, led him to the cross to bear the punishment for our sin, God hears and responds to the cries of those who should have been cut off from him. Listen, the question today for us is, will we turn from our self-righteousness? Will we turn from our anxiety and our fear and our doubt and withholding our requests? Will we turn from, from working and operating this way in order to ask, to seek, to knock? on the door of this all-sufficient and gracious God for what we need? Will we see the goodness and grace of our God displayed at the cross for our sin, for us? 
where we see Jesus who now is a high priest who was resurrected and is seated at the right hand of God who intercedes for us where we see the Spirit's work in our heart, uh, interceding for us through groans and cries. And will we respond in entrusting our entire selves to this good and gracious God, receiving whatever response that he gives to us in our, in our need? Will we be a people, as James says, who confesses our sins to one, one another and prays for one another so that we may be healed? Because the effectual and fervent persistent prayer of a righteous person is powerful. It avails much. Will we be a people marked by supplication and going to God with our need? Let me pray for us. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gracious gift that is in supplication. We thank you that because of Jesus, the thanksgiving that we can come to you and and sing about, pray about, We can confess our sin and we can ask. We can ask boldly, confidently, humbly. We can persist in prayer to ask you for whatever it is that we need. Nothing is unlimited. We can ask for changes to our external external needs, but we can also ask for personal transformation so that you would be glorified in our lives and working your perfect purposes within us. Lord, again, help us to be a people marked by supplication. Even now, Lord, as we sit, as we sit silently for a few moments and reflect, Lord, help us to ask you for what we need. Whether it's forgiveness for our sin that we committed five minutes ago or, or, or five decades ago or earlier this week. Lord, help us to, to be a people who ask, even in this moment now, for what we need. Help us to know that you will respond to us swiftly. Also for those who are here, Lord, who may not know you, help, help and ask that you would encourage them to ask in light of the words of Jesus. Help them to ask you for whatever it needs, be it mercy, forgiveness for their sin. Help them know that you will respond to them. So we thank you for these things and may your, your words continue to be with us as you continue to work within us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message by Rayshon Graves given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.